This episode of Pot Cemetery is brought to you in part by Alvin Cummings for Congress, Congressman Cummings, the law and order candidate. This program was also brought to you in part by contributions to patreon.com slash pod cemetery by listeners like you. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's the 4th of July on Pod Cemetery. This is actually coming out the night of the 4th of July. So hopefully you got your festivities in already. We'll see. Also, you might have heard at the beginning of this episode... That we now have a Patreon. This is something that uh, we've gotten requests for in the past. So we finally went ahead and set that up. You can find that at patreon.com slash pod cemetery. If you don't know how to spell pod cemetery, just go ahead and look at whatever you're listening to this on. That will tell you how to spell it. It's S-E-M-A-T-A-R-Y. By backing us on Patreon, you get access to exclusive content that will only be posting there. That's generally stuff that maybe we wouldn't cover in an actual episode, some sort of off-topic conversations, what we're watching but we're not actually reviewing, things like that. Our first bit of exclusive content is actually about the first part of season four of Stranger Things. So just in time for... Part two, yeah, (laughs) which just came out and we are in the midst of watching right now. And you can guarantee that we will be talking about that, too, exclusively on Patreon. Also, we have a Discord set up. That's Pod Cemetery. You can find that server on Discord. There'll be access for folks that are not on Patreon, but there will be exclusive stuff just for patrons, ways to communicate with us and influence the show. So go ahead and sign up, please, at patreon.com slash pod cemetery. You'll help us pay for this show, which actually costs us money every month to keep running. So it'd be great if it was no longer a cost to us. You could help us out with that. So thank you guys very, very much. There are already some folks who have signed up Before this point, so I just want to give a shout out to them real quick. Uh, That is something that we will be doing. We'll be shouting out patrons uh, on the episode. So that's another sort of like side benefit. Our early patrons who signed up before we even talked about it on the episode are MGS7785, Gravemind50, Jeffrey, David, and of course the Chickapedia. Thank you guys very, very much. You are the true champions. So if you want to join this list, go ahead and sign up at patreon.com slash pod cemetery. Yes, thank you guys very much. We appreciate you. Moving on to the topic of today's show, Independence Day, 1996's Uncle Sam and 2016's Independence Day Resurgence. Our classic film, Uncle Sam. Uh, Kelsey, you had mentioned while we were watching it, Maniac Cop. Can you tell me why you mentioned Maniac Cop? 
It's either the same director or the same writer. Uh, it's both, actually. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> the movie was written by Larry Cohen, who wrote Maniac Cop and its sequels, and God Told Me To, which we also covered on this show, <laughs> and uh, directed by William Lustig, who directed Maniac Cop, as well as the 1980 version of Maniac. Oh, there you go. I've never seen the original Maniac. But you've seen the Elijah Wood one? And it's very good. Yeah. Our cat is batting around one of those sort of like Live Strong style bracelets <laughs> that I got from work uh, and keeps running into my tool belt that has a bunch of nails and stuff in it. So I'm sorry if that's distracting. <laughs> the movie also stars Christopher Ogden, David Shark, Frolic, Leslie Neal, Isaac Hayes, and Robert Forster. Kelsey, can you tell us what Uncle Sam is about a dead soldier comes back to life to murder those who are not patriotic on the 4th of July. That's right. He does. It is available with ads on Tubi, which is how we watched it. With a subscription on Spectrum, you can rent it for $3 on Amazon and $4 on Apple TV. You can also buy it for $10 on the same services. Kelsey, should people watch Uncle Sam? No. This movie, it's not fun. It's not funny. It's not scary. It is, and look, like, not saying that, like, I'm against the point that it's making, but, like, it's a horror movie that is an indictment of war and... Jingoism. And what has happened to our military. And I'm just like, you've got a really heavy-handed message for a really screwball film. Well, I'd also say it's a little bit of a confused message as well, but I think you got to focus on a specific character to get where this movie's point of view actually is. Is that Isaac Hayes? That's Isaac Hayes. Yeah, but like, it's not, it's almost like it wants to be a drama. Yeah. But with some wacky kills. It's it's very odd. I think Maniac Cop is a little apt here. I mean, Maniac Cop is something of an iconic 80s slasher. Something of an iconic 80s what slasher. What did we give Maniac Cop? Well, we didn't give it anything. It was a 50 on Rotten Tomatoes. You gave it a 69, dudes. And... I didn't give it anything for some reason. That was back on episode 23. That's how long ago it was that we watched Maniac Cop. I don't know why I didn't rate it, but there are some episodes early on where I never gave it a rating. Mm. So I don't know. But I mean, 69 is like a, I don't know that I would go so high on this one. We'll see when the, when we actually get to the ratings, I would say no, but like, it feels like a nineties version of Maniac Cop which is kind of a concept that doesn't play as well in the 90s. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, Maniac Cop, from what I remember, was kind of funny and kind of fun. Right. This is not as funny or fun, but it's just, it's like the same thing otherwise. It is a competently made film yes. that's not very exciting. No. I mean, I guess I would say it's not a good movie, but it's not a badly made movie. No. So, yeah, it's like, eh, <laughs> I guess I would agree with you. No, you don't. I would not say that you should watch it. <laughs> so the answer to should you watch it is no. Yeah. If the answer was should you not watch it, I think the answer to that is no, too. Like, if I mean, I guess if you want to. <laughs> That's kind of my feeling. <laughs> but would you tell people not to? Yeah, I would. Okay. Yeah. All right. I don't see the point in watching this. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 1996's... Uncle Sam. Just when you thought it was safe to stand up and salute the flag, Uncle Sam is back. 
without vengeance. A Kuwaiti military unit discovered a mass grave in the desert. They positively identified the body. Jody, stay away from the coffin. You never fought for your country. You just killed for the love of killing. Now, Uncle Sam has a contract on America. <gasps> Draft dodgers, watch out. Someone's been killed. Tax cheaters, beware. No one will ever burn another flag. Nobody will ever desecrate another grave. And no politician will ever tell another lie. And the July 4th weekend will never be the same again. From William Lustig, director of Maniac and the Maniac Cop Trilogy, comes an all-new terror experience. <laughs> Uncle Sam. He's a red-blooded, all-American nightmare. Uncle Sam wants you dead. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Uncle Sam begin? In Kuwait. <laughs> yeah, on June 14th. Is it Operation Desert Storm? Yes and no. <laughs> so Iraq invaded Kuwait, and among other operations, Operation Desert Storm is part of that. But Kuwait was liberated from liberated from Iraq invasion in ninety one. So before this movie takes place, I imagine there's still an American presence in Kuwait at the time, which is why this helicopter we're about to see is downed by friendly fire. But he'd also been missing for a long time. Did she say three years at some point? So Yeah, they finally found him. So this might be from Desert Storm. Question mark? It's the Gulf War. Either way, it's June 14th. It's almost the 4th of July. And they have found this downed chopper. And they say that they're all dead. But this one guy, Sam Harper. Mm-hmm. Master Sergeant Sam not Harper. dead? Well, he's like undead, I guess. Yeah, it's the weirdest no thing. No explanation. It's just his 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 patriotism, his jingoism has kept his body alive. His hatred? Yeah. Sitting in this downed helicopter in the middle of the desert for years. And when they find him, he shoots the people that were there and says, Don't be afraid. It's only friendly fire. But he still gets sent back as a corpse. I'm confused. Yes. No explanation as to how do they explain that there were people shot by an American weapon. Like, mm-hmm. don't even try to explain it. No. But everyone who finds him dies, and he still makes it back somehow. We then get the credit scene with, I think this is John Philip Sousa? I think so, yeah. With the most, one of the more most famous, if, if you're from the U.S., mm-hmm. uh, march, marching songs. And we get to see all these images of Uncle Sam. Yeah. Do you want to explain who Uncle Sam is to anyone who's not from the U.S. of A? Uncle Sam is basically the personification of America, but it's a personification of propagandistic America. Like, if you know... <sighs> America is often, well, often, sometimes referred to as Colombia, not like the country Colombia, but like the Americas are Colombia. It's like the New World. That's why DC is the District of Columbia. And Columbia, like from Columbia Pictures, is the woman 
standing there holding, you know, the... Anyway. She gets confused for the Statue of Liberty. Yes. But yes. they are not the same person. Are they, though? Is the Statue they of Liberty supposed to be Columbia? I don't think so. I think they just represent the same thing. We don't know a lot about our own history, and that is very American. The Statue of Liberty is the figure of Libertas, the liberty goddess of Rome. So not the same. Mm-hmm. But yes, they are... obviously often confused. But anyway, my point is, that's sort of like a representation of America early on, but uh, a personification of it. But we get Uncle Sam as this sort of, like, patriotic, go America. He's an old man wearing an American flag outfit. (laughs) Always with a long pointed white beard. Yeah, and, and historically he's pointing at you, saying like, we want you. Or Uncle Sam wants you, I want you as like to serve to the country, join the army, or to buy bonds, or whatever the case may be. So very tied into militaristic America, fighting for your country. Yeah, this takes place in all it says is Twin Rivers, USA. Yeah, <laughs> Twin Rivers, comma USA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the idea being that it could be any small town in America. Yeah. Uh huh. It's like Main Street USA, I think, is where the Main Street in Disneyland is Main Street USA. <laughs> yes, yes. So we meet our main character named Jody. Yeah. Who looks very familiar, but is not... Oh my god! Whoever you think he is. <laughs> it's just, I can't get his face. I, I, yeah, oh my god, he, he looks, is... He looks like somebody famous. He's not the person we're thinking of, but he desperately looks like it. And we could and we neither can't of us identify who that is. Who we think he is. So if you know who that is, please tell us. And yes, we know he's the younger version of Steve O from SLC Punk. But that's not that's not what, what we're, we're talking thinking about. about. Yeah, uh-huh. But he he's asleep and he has a picture of his Uncle Sam. If you His legitimate yeah, Uncle Sam, the if guy you remember, who died. Sam Harper is the guy who was in that helicopter crash. And it says to Jody from your Uncle Sam. And I just imagine a parenthetical, a picture of me in uniform to keep by your bedside. <laughs> the idea being that he like wants he him worships, to join yes. the army. And Jody worships his Uncle Sam. They never explain why he was nice no, think, to him. I think Jody sort of sees Sam as the embodiment of masculinity, yes. of being a good uh, American. He grew up reading war comics and, you know, probably actually playing. We see him in this movie playing with G.I. Joes. So, like, this is what we're, like, indoctrinating our children with. And, of course, Sam is like, yes, grow up to be this. This is what I'm doing. Uh, and that's all we know about Sam for the time being. Now, when he knocks the frame over, it breaks, which is very unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And then he steps on it and blood drips on it. And there's like this moment where it's like, is it supposed to be that his blood brings it back to life? But no, he was no. already brought yeah, back he to was life. already brought back to life. He kind of gets brought back to life twice. When he gets sent back to the States, he is dead again. But not in, in really. In a coffin. And he doesn't wake up until like a specific thing happens. Somebody's burning a flag and that wakes him up again. I don't know. I think they kind I'm of showed that he might have been alive at first. But then, yeah, I don't know. But anyway, Jody goes in to talk to his mom about his bloodied foot. And she's like, you don't even remember him. He was he didn't care at all about you. Uh-huh. Talking about Uncle Sam. And, well, what about Daddy? That was a different thing. So, like, he has no men in his life. So, uh-huh. like, Uncle Sam is... 
the male to look up to. Yes. Meanwhile, Sam's wife, who thinks that he's dead. Yeah, and who looks a lot like Jody's mom. Oh, yeah, they look a lot alike. Which is not helpful. (laughs) No. She is seeing the town sheriff. Yeah. Even though they haven't found, they at this point they still haven't found Sam's body. But it's been years. Right. So she's, everybody assumes he's dead. And now they found the body, so yes, he is dead. Mm-hmm. But like, she's really uncomfortable, even though she's dating this guy. Un- unimportant. Point is, she's wearing the ugliest outfit. It is so bad. And this is why I'm saying the 90s were the worst time for fashion. It's so bad. She's got these socks with... Like, these high white socks with these tennis shoes, and she's wearing this hideous long dress with this, uh, where you can see her underdress, and it's, like, white, uh, and it, com- oh, it yeah, shows no, up under is, her dress. Her dress is horrible. It looks, it's a really There's bad a lot of good 90s fashion. For instance, overalls are coming back. That was a staple of the 90s. The best denim was in the 90s, way better than denim in the 80s. Oh, God. But, you know, it had leather, flannel. Like, that's the 90s, man. That's what I think of when I think of the 90s. Well, when she gets home from her date, this military man is there and he tells her, we found your husband's body. And at first she's like, oh, my God, is he alive? And he's like, no. And then she cries. And, like, you might be thinking, oh, she's really sad because he's dead. Mm -hmm. And it's finally being told to her. But no, what you're going to find out is that Sam was abusive to all the women in his life. Yeah, and that just brings everything back. He was abusive to his wife. He was abusive to his sister. Before that, yeah. Mm -hmm. And His sister being Jody's mom. Yes. And so, like. He was a terrible person, and he's he's described as having a drinking problem, mm-hmm. and that he ran away from home when he was 14. For some reason, they're friends with this guy, Isaac Hayes, you know, Shaft. Yeah, so he's the guy who sings Shaft. He's not actually Shaft. I'm talking about Shaft. But he, uh, he's also Chef from South Park. Hello there, children. He oh, plays. no. Yeah, what? Did you not notice that from his voice? He's... He's a Scientologist, yes. <laughs> we see him. He's Sergeant Jed Crowley. He was the inspirational figure for Sam. Yes, he's the reason Sam got into the army. Although, as Isaac Hayes will point out, there was nothing I could have done to stop him. He wanted to kill. Yeah. You're damn right. He, we get a flash of him during this moment just telling the audience everything he's thinking that he never made anything out of his life, that he was part of a squad where everyone died and he lost his leg, but he was the sole survivor. And he's like, why, God, why was I the only survivor? Mm-hmm. All of you did. But me. God, how come it was me you let come home? I, I never made anything out of my life. Nothing. Nothing at all. Like, just straight out telling that to the audience. Yes. Uh, Zero subtlety. (laughs) But there's no explanation as to why he's thinking this or thinking about it right now. I guess because we're coming up on the 4th of July, maybe? Yeah. He wouldn't know about Sam yet, but eventually he'll get told. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. We we guess he'll show up. (laughs) So... Sam's wife will confide in Jody's mom, so they're sisters-in-law, 
what she heard and, you know, how rough that is. And Jody's mom will be like, well, we'll clean out all the furniture in the living room and we'll basically have the wake here. We'll bring the body here. I'll take care of it. You don't need to worry about it at all. And she says, this is going to be a 4th of July. We'll never forget. Wah, wah. Wah, wah. <laughs> this is going to be a 4th of July. We'll never forget. We do get a scene of Jody trying to show off all the medals. It kind of establishes that he has everything that belonged to Sam. Why he's in school in the middle of June, I don't know. July, It's July 1st now, or July 2nd even, maybe, by this Why point. the teacher would allow him to just completely take over the class for show and tell yeah. out of fucking nowhere uh-huh. is unbelievable. There's a conversation that is revealed that the teacher, who is Timothy Bottoms, you might recognize him. I was like, where do I know him from? He was George W. Bush, and that's my Bush. Speaking <laughs> of South Park... That was a thing that the South Park creators did. It was a sitcom starring George W. Bush. It was like a, you know, man at home kind of sitcom, but starring the president. He's the president in residence. He's kind of in charge. He's got the whole country saying, that's my Bush. He was George W. Bush. But anyway, he was around for Vietnam and he didn't fight in Vietnam and... He basically dodged the draft and may have even left the country. At least he empathizes with people who left the country. Yeah, he says he knew people that did that. And and then Jody says, well, my Uncle Sam said that you're a coward. So we're starting to get this this point of like, oh, man, Jody is very outspoken and also very patriotic. Is he turning into a new Sam? But then he follows it up with what? The teacher responds with something. What does he say? He tells him to sit down. And uh-huh. so Jody understands that he's crossed the line. Uh-huh. And Jody says, I didn't say that. My uncle did. Yeah. Uh-huh. But Which not is in like such a, a fucking bullshit No, it's, thing. it's not in like a jackass way. Oh, I think it is. No, I interpreted it as like, I mean, I, I'm just sort of saying that that's what my uncle would have said. I don't think you're a coward. But he does think that because when he... But it's him sort of treading the line between committing fully to what his his uncle believes without his own thought. And then like, and it seems unreasonable that my teacher is a coward. It's He seems like a reasonable dude, but Sam would have said he was. And it's it's almost like his struggle with that. I guess, but he immediately says afterwards... I can't wait to enlist in the army. I'll do whatever the president tells me because he knows best. He knows best. Yep. Many young people like myself protested the war. In fact, some people left the country for a while. Ran away? It was a very difficult thing to do, Jody. But you have to understand that those who left the country felt it was a lesser evil than blindly following orders they knew were wrong. My Uncle Sam said you guys were cowards. I didn't say you were. I just said that's what he said. When I'm grown up, I'm going in the army. Just like Sam did. And I'll do whatever the president says to do. Because he knows better. We find out because the movie wants us to know, for a fact, that the guy who came to tell the woman, hey, we found your husband's body... We need to know that he is a bad guy. He works PR for the army, yeah. He is talking on the phone to somebody about how he wants to nail the wife and the sister Mm -hmm. in one weekend. Even though they both have are seeing somebody. Now, the mother, the sister, is seeing a guy who's, like, bragging about tax evasion? Named Ralph. He's a lawyer who's cheating the government with tax shelters, and he is proud of it. 
Like, it's very obvious that he's supposed to be a bad guy, which is where the sort of like, wait a minute, where is the moral center of this movie? Yes. Because he's obviously coded as a villain, but our villain is going to be the jingoistic Uncle Sam. Yeah, he's so killing what, these what bad does this movie guys, believe? But he's also killing good people. It's very confusing. It's hard to tell what the movie actually believes, which is why I posit focus on Isaac Hayes. Yes. Right on. Because I think what they're coming down to is the soldier will kill anyone. Yes. The movie gives him excuses to kill certain people, but he also just kills anybody. Right. Like, yes, people like Sam are terrible, but that doesn't mean that every soldier is. And that doesn't uh, mean that every person, every civilian is a good person. Right. Exactly. There are bad people on both sides of this argument that you could disagree with what our country is doing militaristically and politically. That doesn't mean that you need to be a jackass about it is basically, I think, what the movie's saying. But for some reason, the sister's okay with him being a tax evasionist and being Yeah, excited. she's like, oh, he's very smart or whatever it is she says. It's like... I think she just doesn't want Jody uh, Disrespecting him? Disrespecting him. him yeah. but it's like, he's kind of a shithead, but okay. Yeah. So we have this sort of wake thing where everyone comes by and visits the coffin that's covered with an American flag. This is where Isaac Hayes will show up. And he has a conversation with Jody because Jody's like looking at his his leg, his prosthetic leg, and they go outside to talk. So he can like, oh, you want to see it? Sure, yeah, I'll show it to you. And they have a conversation about it. Yes, it got blown off from a landmine, but I I don't know if he said it to Jody or if he said it to the wife. But he says, "I've got a lot to apologize for if I'm the one who got him." He says it to the wife. To yeah, he always talked about you or whatever in your war stories or whatever, and he's like, "Well, then I have a lot to apologize for." But yeah, he's out there talking to Jody and, you know, giving him the whole spiel like, yeah, hey, you know, you can you want to see my leg? I'm not shy about it. You're a curious kid. I'm going to indulge your curiosity. That's good. But then Jody starts talking about wanting to enlist. He's like, I don't know if I should join the Army or the Air Force or the Navy. And he's like, you stop thinking like that right now. And he kind of goes off. Like he explains that when he was in the army, they understood the why. Yeah. Everything made sense. There was an evil person who was trying to take over the world. Yeah. We needed to stop him. And what disillusioned him after his leg was blown off, he was in the Korean War. The teacher dodged the Vietnam War. And like, so you can see as time goes by that it gets less clear that we are morally justified. The why is no longer. Evident. Old. Yes. Right. Yeah. Like clearly evident. There's no like big evil trying to take over the world that we have to stop now. So like, why are we sending our children off to die? And you should not be wanting to go off to kill our enemies when our enemies are not so clear cut anymore. He explains that there's no such thing as a hero. There are only lunatics who are filled with hate, who somehow survive. And when they get back, the government tells them to not be filled with hate anymore. Yeah. And not do what they were praised for yeah, doing. Uh -huh. And I think that... that it's a good point. It's a poignant moment. It's very well written. Mm -hmm. But it's like, what is this doing in this movie? What is this movie trying to say? If this this movie is not the movie to be so fucking serious about this stuff. Yeah, like, I'm just like, okay, you, you want to make an indictment about war, but, like, I don't know why you do it in this kind of wacky fashion. Yeah, with a silly slasher. And not a funny silly slasher. No. Just an unserious slasher. Why is this so serious? Why so serious? Mm -hmm. 
But it is a good point. And he does talk about how I took him hunting when he was a kid and he scared me. Uh -huh. How much he enjoyed killing. Yeah. Uh, see, he regrets glorifying everything to Sam. Unfortunately, I feel his head full of tales of glory. When Jody goes back inside, sort of kind of dejected, you know, because he was told off by Isaac Hayes, but he respects Isaac Hayes. So, like, what what does this mean now? It's not so obvious that he's struggling, but he didn't, like, get in an argument with Isaac Hayes. Whereas when he goes back inside, he obviously has anger, right? And so when he hears Ralph talk about... Shame is, it was all about oil. And that's the God's honest truth, keeping some rich Arabs rich. I mean, those poor boys, they died for nothing. Jody tells him, Why don't you just shut up? And then his mom grounds him for the entire weekend. And yes, that includes the 4th of July parade. Yes, which he says, I didn't want to go to that anyway. And then when it's happening, he's like, I'm not going to miss this. Yeah. <laughs> so the 4th of July rolls around. It is the night of July 3rd, the morning of July 4th. It's the middle of the night. And these teenagers light a flag on fire, but also the kid, like, says something over him. And I think that's when we see that his eyes are already open. But then, like, when the kids are lighting the thing on fire, I think they, like, open again. I could be wrong. Yeah. But it, it felt like he was already alive. They tag a swastika on a headstone. They light a flag on fire and swing it around, and the burning pieces fall into Sam's open grave because it's already been dug, but he hasn't been buried yet. And, yeah, he sort of wakes up earlier... Jody tried to open the coffin and he unlatched it, but he still couldn't get it open because there's this seal in there. Well, also the mom stopped him. Right, but he tried and he couldn't and he sort of left it at that. So then from the inside, Sam is able to get out because it's been unlatched on the outside. Yeah, and it's really like, okay, I think they were super proud of their makeup effects because... They have this whole scene where he, like, pins his He uh, steals medals. the medals. It's in an ammo box, which it's just, it's it evokes weird. I drove a very old Jeep <laughs> in high school, like a very, very old Jeep. And in this our center divider, because there aren't center dividers in Jeeps, but we had these bucket seats, and our center divider was welded in place an ammo box. And that's where you kept everything that you wanted to keep in there. So ammo boxes evoke this weird sort of feeling in me, nostalgia-wise, that's completely unrelated to their original use. <laughs> so the fact that he's carrying around this ammo box is just really weird feeling to me. But yeah, that has all of Sam's medals in it. And then Sam takes it, takes the medals out. And then despite the fact that he's wearing his uniform that he was going to be buried in, he pins his medals directly to his chest. Yes, even, yeah, even, like, afterwards, he's going to put a shirt and a tie on over it. So it's just like, and his jacket. So it's just like, why wouldn't he want anyone to be able to see his medals? I feel like it was just put in there to show off the makeup effects and yeah. to be gross. Mm -hmm. Which, again... But it's nonsense. Yes, and, but also, like, weren't you just going for, like, a serious statement two seconds ago? Uh, yeah, again, this is not the place for it. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, there is a dude dressed up as Uncle Sam, which is where Sam is going to get the mask from. He's, yeah, he's a stilt walker, and he's going around looking in people's windows as they're undressing. Yes, he's a peeping Tom on stilts. And why he's dressed in the middle of the night? So that people don't know who he is. Everyone knows, knows it's him. Yeah, uh-huh. So he tries to run away, and he ends up 
falling down on his back in the middle of this park. Because Sam chases after him uh-huh. and kills him with shears for some reason. Uh-huh. None of these deaths are going to have, like, he does not have an MO. He no. just uses whatever there's, he can to kill there's people. There's some irony in some cases. Like, his next kill will be a little bit ironic. But, yes, he kills this guy and takes his outfit, uses the shears to chop off the long legs of the pants so he can cut them short. And I guess he measured it perfectly. Yeah. And then now he's walking around in a dime store Uncle Sam outfit, which is funny because later people are going to see him and go like, oh, he's a great Uncle Sam. It's it's anybody in that purchased outfit yes. wearing a mask. Like, how is he any different from anybody else who would be doing that? I don't know. No, it's silly. But now he is... Uncle Sam, both literally and figuratively. Well, he's going to go after those guys who lit the flag on fire in the graveyard. Yeah, he's going to kill him in a couple of ways. One guy gets left behind, and he's going to spray paint him red, white, and blue using the spray paint that they used to tag up the headstone. But they only used red, so where he got white and blue from, I don't know. Mm. But that's his first sort of ironic kill. He's using the spray paint, Mm. and it's red, white, and blue. You know, get it? Until the guy... Falls into an open grave. He breaks his leg. Oh, is this the same person? I thought these were two different people. No, they're all hanging out there, and then they decide to leave, and they, one of the one of their guys stays behind. Oh. And he's the one that gets killed this way, uh, and then he gets alive. buried alive. But surely he could donkey his way up. Hey, do you know the story about the donkey in the well? About the donkey that falls into the well, and... Well, but his leg is broken, and he's been spray-painted, so he's probably not thinking or seeing very right. clearly. But the guy who owns the well is like, oh, there's nothing I can do. It's a dried up well. I can't do anything. I guess I'm just going to have to kill this donkey. And the only way I know how is to bury it alive. So he starts to like shovel dirt into the well. And the donkey just keeps stepping up on top of the dirt until the level gets high enough that he's just able to jump out. It's like, surely he could have done that. But no, it doesn't matter. He was going to get killed anyway. But yes, he needs to get buried alive. And that's how that happens. And then when one of his friends is like, where's he's not back yet. I'm going to go check on him. He goes back. So this is only two of those three guys. He goes back and then he's Sam strings this guy up by the neck up a flagpole. Mm-hmm. As Taps is playing. Yes. Like when they play Taps in A Few Good Men. You know, it's very evocative. Yeah, he strings him up like he's a flag for disrespecting the flag. Uh, and then uh, that guy's dead now, too. So oh, it's yes. it's the morning of the parade, and the kids are participating in the parade. And the, they're like, where's George Washington's axe? Because he's going to chop down the cherry tree. And so the teacher runs back to the classroom to get it, and it is a real axe. So ridiculous. Which Sam uses to chop him in the head. Now, mm-hmm. I guess Sam is attached to Jody's mind somehow and knows that Mr. Crandall is a draft dodger. I I guess. Well, he was his teacher. He does oh, say that. Which doesn't make any fucking sense because no. he would have been like 12. Yeah, he was way too young to have been his teacher. It's stupid. But <laughs> that's Sam what was he born, says. But... So, like, I guess it's possible that he already knew. I don't know. But so, yeah. So this is the day of the 4th of July. And Jody's like, I'm not going to miss this parade. So he leaves his house. Yeah. So he's going to go. We also get to see... For the first time in the entire movie, PJ Souls is introduced from Halloween and Carrie. She is the woman in the red hat who's the mother 
of a child who's in a wheelchair with a burnt face and who's blind. That's PJ Souls. That's PJ Souls. Oh my God, I did not recognize her. When you know it's her, it's definitely her. Okay. And out of nowhere, this character and and his family is introduced. Yeah, that's a thing from both movies this week. Just randomly halfway through the film, we're going to introduce you to some new characters. Yes. That are going to be very important to the story. This child is a morose child because kids were playing with fireworks last year and there was an accident and now he's in a wheelchair. He is blind and his face is burned. Yeah. And they're really pissed off about it. PJ Souls in particular and who's like, no, we are not going to hide away from their eyes. They're going to have to deal with the fact that our boy was hurt by... I guess the 4th of July. By kids. Being... She hates the other kids. Yeah. Because they did this to her boy and those kids' families, right? And so they are going. Despite the fact that the kid is silent, he doesn't really want to go, she takes him anyway because she's making a point. Yeah. Well, Jody, like, I, I'm not sure if they said it when it happened. We just know that she said that's why you don't play with fireworks. I don't know if it happened a year ago or what. It did. We find out later that it was last year. Well... Then Jody sure has waited his sweet time to make to make friends with this kid. Yup. Because he comes up to him and he's like, hey, how about I come over and hang out with you? And his mom's like, no. He's like, yeah, you know, Mrs. Whatever, I wasn't there. I wasn't involved. I'm really concerned about my buddy here. But only a year later. A year later. And the kid is like, what would we even do? Because he's he's resentful, right? Of his situation. How can I even play with you? I'm in a wheelchair. I'm blind. And, you know, Jody is like a perfect kid. And, you know, he's a Boy Scout, basically. I'll read to you. Yeah, no, I can we'll read to, to you. Music. We can listen to music. Yeah. He's like being a perfect kid, which which makes this all the more confusing because at this point, you're feeling like he's Anakin Skywalker, right? <laughs> and he's making his way towards the dark side. <laughs> but he's also like a perfect child. So like, what is the movie trying to say? It's not made clear until later that it's, that it's I, I mean, especially with this little kid who starts to seem like he's on Sam's side. <laughs> like he's some... Seer now that he's seer. blind. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but like, no, this kid is a good kid. He just knows how to be creepy as shit. Yeah, uh-huh. And during this interaction, Jody is going to say that he's grounded right in front of this kid's parents. Right, yeah. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> oh, my mom grounded me when I'm here anyway. Like, you're supposed to be here right now. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, uh, you just said that in front of these parents. Right, who seem to not care. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Because they're kind of distracted because the mom doesn't want him hanging out with her son. And the father's like, the boy needs friends. Yeah, I mean, come on. PJ Souls is a little bit sort of neurotic in this. Just a little bit. So meanwhile, the rest of the town is all enjoying themselves. They gather to sing the national anthem. So first, the the guy who introduces the singer is the mayor. He's wearing the cowboy hat. That's Morgan Paul. If you recognize him and you're like, man, where do I know him from? He is the guy who administers the Voight-Kampf test at the beginning of Blade Runner who gets killed. He's the one who's like, you see a turtle turned over on its back in the middle of the desert. No, he says a tortoise. Tortoise, right. Obviously, turtles are water-based. What's a tortoise? You know what a turtle is? That's a tortoise. <laughs> That's a tortoise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he gets a, a minor role in this as the mayor. But yeah, they invite this local kid. Is he the mayor? 
I is thought the, mayor. the I thought the guy that no, he's a senator. Oh, he's a senator or a congressperson. Oh, yeah, okay. uh-huh. the Robert Forster is who Kelsey's talking about. But yeah, he invites his kid on. Is this kid the third kid from the night before? I wrote down this kid's an asshole, so he did something before he got up there and sang. I'm not sure what it was. Well, he had the smug look like, yeah, I'm a, I'm an incredible singer. That's where I thought they were going with. That's where I thought the comedy was going, where, like, everyone thinks that they're incredible, and then they actually get up and sing, and they're not. And it's like, wasn't this a, a moment in Stranger Things Season 4 that we just saw? <laughs> Where there's that local girl who's apparently the incredible oh. singer, but she's actually not that great. Yeah, but that's not what's going on here. This kid actually, I don't know. I, maybe I guess, he can sing. Maybe he yeah. can sing, but that's not the point. The point uh-huh. is is that he's fucking it up on purpose. Yeah, he is disrespecting the national anthem. crowd with his boxers on yeah boxers on they they weren't brave enough to show boy ass i guess <laughs> meanwhile in the audience uncle sam approaches our blind boyfriend and nobody <laughs> notices including his super protective mom right they just like left him alone and he like touches him on his face yeah and stuff it's like really that. creepy and it, he tells him i'm here to do what you want me to can he read this kid's mind well no the the implication later is that he must have seen jody talking to him so he's like yeah, oh he you're was following jody yeah so i'm uh-huh. gonna do i'm gonna get those kids back but it's like he has no idea who did it to this kid but it does become obvious by something that he says that he starts to literally think that he is uncle sam like he's the embodiment of the nation's patriotism well, this is where we're going to see that congressman, I guess, walking around and everyone's like, you don't have my vote. Yeah, it turned out he ran some financial scam or whatever, and then he got caught. And so he's trying to, like, glad hand his way into keeping his office. But, yeah, everyone fucking hates him. And he's like, I thought you said this. We're nice people or whatever. <laughs> So we see this teenage girl, like, cutting up meat with a cleaver. Yeah. And she goes to have a joint. Uh Uh-huh. Gets caught by... The sheriff guy. The sheriff who's dating the Uh ex-wife. Or... Wife? Former wife? The widow. Yeah, the widow. There you go. And he's like, you go back and you get to work, and then now the cleaver's missing. The day goes on as planned after that, even though they don't have a cleaver to cut the meat, but whatever. Oh, and at the same time, a sack race is taking place. Mm-hmm. Why would they let the dipshit who ruined National Anthem even participate? participate? Yeah. Uh-huh. And then on top of that, he's knocking everyone over and like no one no says or does him out anything, on it. Yeah, uh-huh. which is super unbelievable. And then he like gets lost and you're just like, what is yeah, going on? He just on? Like, makes a right turn at some point and you're like, Wait, where are you even going? I thought you were trying to win. Yes. And he falls down a hill, which looked... Hill tumbles are actually a lot more dangerous than they look. They're, like, super dangerous. And this one is a dude in a sack, (laughs) like, making it even more dangerous. But they did it. Yeah, he gets up and he's lost and then just, like, immediately head cut off by Uncle Sam with that cleaver from earlier. It's not immediate. He is jumping and he sees Uncle Sam. Mm -hmm. And he's like, hey, can you tell me how to get back? 
He doesn't say anything, so he keeps going. And then Uncle Sam is there again. So suddenly... Like, from behind, he's in front. Yeah. Uh-huh. Suddenly, he has magical powers. He's teleporting like Jason. Yes, he is teleporting mm-hmm. ahead of this guy. And that, and then eventually, he gets the drop on him and decapitates him. But I'm just like, so he can do anything. Okay. Yeah. The body is eventually found. And a few people are told about it. Like, it's try, they try to keep it sort of hush-hush. But they can't for very long... Because the tax evasion guy well, is going to be yeah, found. <laughs> uh-huh. He is also found. I guess he was killed, too. Mm-hmm. Do we know how he was killed? I just wrote, Lincoln is dead. Oh, right. He's he dressed was dressed as, as Lincoln. Lincoln. Yeah. And he, he kept making these sort of snide comments throughout the day today. But Jody shows up. Yeah. And they're like, why would anyone do this? And Jody's like, because he was a crook. <laughs> And she's like, you're not even supposed to be here today. Very much uh-huh. like clerks. Yeah. Which I thought was odd. <laughs> yeah. So Jody is with his mom and his aunt, the widow. And he mentions, I think, a very telling thing is he is under the impression that Sam would have caught and dealt with the murderer. Sam wouldn't have let this happen because mm-hmm. Sam is a hero. Mm-hmm. Not realizing that Sam is the one that's actually doing it. Because as far as Jody's concerned, it is a heroic thing to stop murderers. It is not a heroic thing to kill the unpatriotic. If Sam was around, this would never have happened. He would have nailed the killer and broke both his arms. So we're starting to get, okay, this is where Jody and Sam are sort of diverging in what they believe. Yes. And then almost immediately, they have this conversation where the women feel the need to explain to Jody what actually went on with Sam. Yeah, like, stop thinking of him as a hero. You need to know what he actually was like. It's time to stop just telling you that he treated us badly and actually explain to you what happened. Mm -hmm. And there's heavily implied that he raped his sister. And then his wife. And then his wife. And it was beating them up constantly. Yeah. So, like... Jody is like, no, you're lying. You're and then making like, it up. And they're like, why would I yeah. make it up? Why would I do that? You know? And he's like, I don't know. So, yeah, he eventually goes like, God damn it. I'm really sorry that that happened. Yeah. The mom's like, that's why I couldn't be with your dad. Yeah, I guess. Well, she's explaining that it had something to do with her men trouble. I could have warned Louise. I could have told her about what he'd been doing to me since I was six years old. But I didn't. Things I couldn't even tell mom and dad. Things I knew were wrong. He had a power over me. I I just couldn't fight it. I think that's what came between me and your father. Don't you see, honey? I just couldn't trust men. It just permanently affected her ability to maintain relationships. But then they're like, let's just go on with the program. Let's yeah. have some fireworks. Uh-huh. And then and Robert Forster is the Robert Forster is connected to the fireworks and nobody does anything. The cop starts running, but everyone else is like, oh, ah. I wrote down, do the people think that the plan was to light up some dude in a suit in effigy? <laughs> like that it was just a stuffed body and they're like, oh, yeah, let's. This is Robert Forster burning him in effigy. No, that's really Robert Forster 
and it's too late. He completely gets lit up by all the fireworks. Yeah, because... By the time anyone the realizes cop, it's real. The cop that is running, like, gets stabbed with the flagpole, or somebody does. Maybe it's the mayor. I don't know. I think it's the cop. I think the cop dies. So... Everyone's panicking and everyone's leaving. Jody runs to get his friend and his friend is like the blind kid, blind kid and he's just like, wait, Sam thinks we're on his side. Yeah, he is like this weird, so yeah, he says that later, but initially he's all spooky and he's like, he won't hurt us or whatever. Yeah. Later he'll explain, no, I don't think he'll hurt us because, I mean, you're his nephew that he loves and I'm your friend. That's why he won't hurt us. It's not like he has some sort of psychic connection with him. Right. But that's the way that it's implied. <laughs> that's the way that it's said. Yeah. But so they run into eventually Isaac Hayes. And Isaac Hayes is like, oh, my God, this is totally Sam. And they go back to Jody's house and they check the coffin. And that PR sergeant is the is in the coffin with his throat slit. So now he's dead too, but he was killed off camera. Mm. Uh, but yeah, eventually the blind kid says, Sam thinks we're on his side. <laughs> so <laughs> they're going to use that this. against him. Yes. Uh-huh. At some point, to calm Louise down, that's his aunt, the widow, Jody calls Jed a real soldier. They show up at her house and she's scared and she's going to like shoot them or stab them or something when they come in until she realizes who they are because she's worried it's Sam too, right? And Jody says not to worry because Jed's a real soldier. This is where, I, where it's like, you know, he is sort of the moral center of the movie. Jody's like, oh, it's not just soldiering in general. It's being a soldier because you're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And that is what Jed represents. Mm-hmm. Eventually, Sam is going to show up and he's going to confront Jed, Isaac Hayes. Jed, and he's going to say, you're the one that made me into this. Yeah, and Isaac Hayes will say, you never fought for your country. You just killed for the love of killing. You're nothing. So just die. (laughs) It's this great sort of moment. It's bad is what it is. But, like, they keep, like, shooting him and setting him on fire and stuff, and he just won't die. Yeah, Jody at one point says that he wanted to be just like him. This is the point where they're trying to... They've sent Jed off to get the cannon, Jody has. And then he confronts Sam, and he says, I wanted to be just like you. To which Sam says, you'll have to be dead first. Are you volunteering? Yeah. (laughs) All of a sudden, he wants this kid to be dead with him. But then he doesn't kill him. They go outside together. It, it, like, Jody's like, I want to tell everyone that I'm with you now. Yeah. You know, and so they go outside, at which point Jed fires the cannon. Uh, we didn't mention there is a cannon. And Jody's there. He'll get out of the way. Yeah, says the blind kid. It's great. <laughs> this blind kid's awesome. I, I can't fire with Jody there. I'll get out of the way. I'm staying with Sam. He's taking me back with him. Uh, is that boy done going nuts? But yeah, Jed has a cannon for the 4th of July festivities, you know, like he's firing it in celebration. But I guess he loads it with a real cannonball. That somehow is going to make everything explode. Explodes, which is not how that works. (laughs) A cannon just projects that ball at high velocity. That's all it does. That ball doesn't then explode. But everyone thinks they do. Yeah, it, it hits them. Into the house, it explodes. He gets set on fire, and then he comes after Jody as Jed tries to reload the cannon and shoot him again. At which point, it hits him again, it explodes again, and the whole house goes down, and 
Sam is dead. At one point, he asks his widow, do you still love me? And I think she, like, tries to shoot him, and it's like, guess not! (laughs) The song with the credits. Well, so Jody burns all of his military toys. Yes. And then he sort of, like... Oh, right! Looks at the at his mom or at the camera, I don't remember, and has this sort of, like, wry smile. Weird smile, and then, like, it breaks into glass, the picture yeah. does. Yeah, like, okay, so... What is that Yeah, ending? what are they saying? Is it supposed to be that, oh, secretly, it's a Sweet 16 ending where our main character has gone crazy by the end, but he burned the toys. So gone crazy how? To pretend that he's I guess, against it now. But yeah, that doesn't make any sense why he would. None of it makes sense. It's dumb. Or is he just trying to smile because he's happy again? But uh, then why would the broken glass yeah, effect exactly. be Yeah, exactly. That doesn't make any sense. So yeah, the, the what we get over the end credits is William Smith. William Smith is the major at the beginning, who is one of the guys that gets shot. The guy with the real gruff voice. Mm-hmm. And he wrote and narrated this poem over the end credits which is supposed to be like i was gonna say poetic i I guess yeah right (laughs) about being a soldier i am the marine on the border of kuwait 20 years ago i was born in the usa i got sent to the desert storm one august day i'm young and scared but still full of pride I am an American, and right is on my side. Not one drop of blood is worth the oil of Kuwait. I might kill a man I don't know enough to hate. The soldiers of Iraq are waiting there to die. Both sides are still screaming the same warrior's cry. Why, why, why? Anyway, that is Uncle Sam. Kelsey... What do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? I will tell you, it does. There are ten reviews, so it will be a nice round number. Ten. Sixty percent. No consensus statement, no Metacritic, no cinema score, but six out of ten walked away going, yeah, okay. Jesus. Do you think that that is overrated or underrated? It is overrated. Okay, but by how much? I'm going to give it... It's competently made. It is. Some of it at the end, I guess, is kind of funny. More because it's just so ridiculous. Yeah. Isaac Hayes has some poignant moments. He does, but he sounds like... Chef talking to the children. Hello there, children. I'm going to give it a 20. Okay. All right. Why 20? I was going to go a little bit lower. Uh Uh-huh. But then I was thinking about it, and there are things... That are fun. There's the kid. The the psychic kid, (laughs) but not psychic kid, is fascinating. (laughs) He's fun. (laughs) It's um, ridiculous, but in, like, a fun way. Isaac Hayes has some really good moments. He does. I think that the poem at the end makes it very clear what its point is. Uh-huh. But I still don't understand why they chose to have Jody do the weird smile and the breaking of the glass. Yeah, so, it doesn't make any sense. So because... It's not a good movie. It is definitely on the wrong side of 50, for sure. So I will give but it a 20. 20. Yes. Okay. It's as high as I can go. I am going to give it a 35. Okay. 
I think... I think you're wrong, but... I think that we tend to jump from the 40s all the way down to the teens too often. And I think we need to fill in that area of, yes, it's not a good movie. Somebody asks you, oh, was Uncle Sam a good movie? The answer is, I mean, not, not really. <laughs> like, no, it's not. But it's not a... It's not a worst movie ever. It didn't make me mad. I had a little bit of fun with it. It's okay. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it, but it's fine. You know what I mean? Like, I would absolutely not recommend it. It's a little entertaining, regardless of whether that's intentional or not, right? Like, it's just a little entertaining. And I, I think I, that I that's reflected in the score. I think it's pretty boring 35. myself. It is. Okay, that, that's its biggest sin, is that it is boring. But there are moments, and I think we should appreciate those moments. Okay. This was a bad week. I don't even want to talk about this. It was really movie. a bad week. I really, so really don't want to talk about this. You might movie. be wondering, hey, wait a minute. I thought you said you were going to watch You Were Not Alone. Yeah, you know, an experimental movie, which was going to be from first person. It was first a first person horror movie. Uh, Took place on the 4th of July. Apparently for like the first hour, you can't even tell that it is a horror movie and you're just learning about these people and their lives. Uh-huh. And I was like, I'm down, but no. They really don't want you to see this movie. And it makes me wonder, like, what happened? I can't find anything about what happened and why it's not aired. So it was originally released on, like, the film festival circuit, I guess, in 2014. And it got theatrical release in 2016 here and in Europe. And it seems like it was well-liked. And for whatever reason, it's nowhere. You can't find it anywhere. And as a matter of fact, if you go to the website, the website's down. There is no website. So you can't even, like, order it. It got to the point where I was like, you know what? I'll buy a DVD. (laughs) The only DVDs and Blu-rays that exist are outside our region. So we can't watch it on any of our players. I don't have a region-free player. So, what? like, what the fuck? You just cannot watch it. It's not even on YouTube or anything. Nope. Like, nobody bothered. You want to download it illegally? Good fucking luck. (laughs) You'll be able to find the title, but nobody has it. So instead, we watched Independence Day 2 Resurgence, and there was... It's just Independence Day Resurgence, Kelsey. Don't gussy it up. So there was no way to be prepared for how awful this movie was i i like the cast alone like you couldn't you couldn't make a movie this bad with the cast with the cast that they had well let's talk about that okay so the movie is directed again by roland emmerich because of course a man who seems to be getting worse with age it stars liam hemsworth jeff goldblum bill pullman micah monroe and jesse t usher i didn't mention the writers because this might be what the problem is But first, let's talk about Micah Monroe. There was sort of a pushback against her casting because the little girl who played the president's daughter in the original is alive and well and, and acting have been in the movie and acting. I think that's the important part. It's Mae Whitman. Now, if you know Mae Whitman, she was Anne from Arrested Development and she was Roxy, my brain, <laughs> from Scott Pilgrim. Ah, right, right, right. Yes. Yeah. Love her. But I was wondering, well, what about Ross Bagley? He's Dylan. He's not the same Dylan. Now we have Jesse T. Usher 
playing that part. Right. Why was there no feedback, pushback against that? Yeah. Well, Ross Bagley hasn't really been acting since the 90s. He has two credits that took place in the 2000s. Still alive he's, and well. Right, but he's not acting. So maybe there's something there. But Mae Whitman is definitely alive and acting. And so there was this feeling that, well, I mean, look at her. Look at Micah Monroe. That's fucked. Does she look like she's a fighter pilot? Like, I don't know. It seems it does seem kind of fucked. So, but yes, they did recast her as Micah Monroe, an actress that we like. Yeah. We like her. Mm-hmm. We've appreciated her in a lot of the stuff that we've seen her in. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, that was one of the controversies. But okay, I want to get to who wrote the movie. Now, obviously, it is based on characters created by people who wrote the original, Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich, right? But we have a story by Dean Devlin, Roland Emmerich, Nicholas Wright, and James A. Woods. Now, apparently, so I heard, I couldn't confirm this, but apparently Dean Devlin wrote a treatment for a sequel and then never submitted it because he was like, this is this is terrible. It'll never work. We're not making this. I'm not even going to turn it in to let you guys make this. This is bad. So he got paid for it and then decided, no, thanks. I'm not giving you this and gave them their money back. That was what was more important to him. It's like, okay, great. Until finally, he's like, I think we have something. And that's what we got. Which So the screenplay, though, is written by Dean Devlin, Roland Emmerich, James A. Woods, James Vanderbilt, and Nicholas Wright. So that is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 different writing credits. Yeah. And... No wonder the writing is... God awful and but completely inconsistent and also all over the place. Uncredited screenplay work by Carter Blanchard, which I sh- assume is like punch up work, right? But oh man, yeah, no, it is like Kelsey says, sort of all over the place. Can you tell us what it's about? I mean, the story was already there to begin with, right? They were going to come back sometime. Yeah, like there's no way they wiped out the entire race. Right? Mm-hmm. There's, they've got to be out there somewhere. Are, are we sure about that? Why do I remember that the feeling was is that they were migratory? And then they blew up the mothership and that was a big deal that then this, they got all of them at that point. I feel like they would be more intelligent than to spend their entire race. But either way, it's odd that it took 20 years for them to get there. Because isn't the whole thing that like they have really fast... Space travel? Right. Well, they were dealing with their intergalactic space war. You know, they have other enemies that they're dealing with. Anyway, so they finally have come back to finish the job. Mm-hmm. It's 20 years later, and we have used their alien technology to improve our own. Right. And the world is all at peace, which I am fine with. I am fine with that event bringing the world together. Sure. I yeah. am fine with us using it's their... The point of Watchmen, right? Yeah. I'm fine <laughs> with using their technology to suddenly be amazing at space travel. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. We have space place on the moon. That's great. Uh, A space place. <laughs> but... <laughs> It is all of the cheese and all of the sentimental crap from the first one to an elevated level of you want to vomit. Yes. And yes, I'm just left wondering, like, you understand that the charm of the first one was that they didn't realize how cheesy it was. Right. It was cheesy, but like in a way that's like, fuck, yeah, this is dope. Yeah. (laughs) It was taking itself seriously. This movie does not take itself seriously in any way. There's no stakes. Like, it's just like, you know they're going to win. It, it doesn't, it never felt like... 
it never felt as I will say I think the key thing this is this is missing is inspiration. It doesn't feel as inspirational as the first movie did. And it's so obvious that they take out the good guys at the beginning. Yeah. Like, it couldn't be more obvious. Let's hope to God that we did the right thing. But hold on. We're not there yet. You can watch the movie with a subscription to FX Now. You can rent it for $4 or buy it for $5 on Amazon, Vudu, AMC, Microsoft, and Apple. I think it's on sale. That's where we... I just went ahead and bought it. And up to $15 on the rest. Kelsey... Should people watch Independence Day Resurgence? Good God, no. Absolutely not. This is I could so not bad. have been more bored. I couldn't believe it. When I heard that this movie was bad, you know, people were like, oh, this is a terrible movie. I'm like, yeah, it's just because maybe our sensibilities changed since the 90s and what worked in the 90s doesn't work anymore, you know. But I mean, come on, if you're in that mode of thought, is, could it be cool? No. It is, te- it is a bad movie. It is so fucking poorly made. It is so obsessed with making references to the original mm-hmm. that it forgets that it needs its own story. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't dwell or let you sit in anything. Mm-hmm. It's go, 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 go. We have to fit so much shit in two and a half hours. We got to go, 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 go. It is so long. It is a never-ending movie. <laughs> and But it's just thing happens and thing happens and thing happens, and you can't absorb any of it. I don't know how they got them all to agree to be in the movie. I don't know how Jeff Goldblum agreed to be in this. I don't know how they thought... He's just having fun. I... <laughs> Not enough fun, though. This wasn't Jeff Goldblum-y enough. I feel like. He was supposed to be like this... He was a caricature of a caricature. It was... But see, when I hear abysmal, when I hear caricature, I think big and over the top, and that's not what he was. But it, yeah, it's did it's they terrible. Ever Don't watch what it. Happened to his wife? Where the fuck did she go? Yeah, they didn't stay together. Not I guess. not once did they mention her. Right? I'm not wrong about that. Well, the, him and the president, Bill Pullman, they have a moment where they see each other again. And they're, like, greeting each other with respect. And I'm like, oh, right. They were rivals in a love triangle. No. Sort of. They weren't. But, yes. He was jealous of the president because his wife went to follow the president instead of staying with the him. The fact that his dad survives his, in the most oh ridiculous fashion. God. Yeah, I so wrote, upsetting. why is there a Judd Hirsch there's a subplot? Group of, there's a group of kids that shows up halfway through the film. And you're just like, I don't need this. That has Joey King and McKenna Grace... For whatever reason, I mean, it's 2016, so, like, maybe they don't have as much, like, film presence as they do now, because a lot of things have happened for them since then, but, like, it just seems so fucking random that these actresses are in this role. And that's that writing. That is all those different people putting their writing in there. Too many different cooks in the kitchen Mm -hmm. make this... A terrible. They should have stopped and started over. They should have stopped, thought about what do we want to do, and then start from scratch. It's such an easy story to tell. I feel like it is. I mm. there's a kaiju battle at the end, which is kind of cool. A half a kaiju battle, which is kind of cool. Anyway, don't watch it. Take our advice or leave it, but we recommend you take it. When we get back, we will talk about 2016's Independence Day Resurgence. Why are they screaming? They're not screaming. They're celebrating. Shouldn't we be nervous? Um, yeah. Make them pay. We are gonna kick some serious aliens. Let's show them some fireworks. 
behalf of the planet Earth, happy 4th of July. Is that all you got? Independence Day, Resurgence, rated PG-13, in theaters and IMAX 3D. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Independence Day Resurgence begin? Bill Pullman is having nightmares in Morristown, Virginia, about the aliens. And he's got all these pictures around of this circle with the line. And it's just like, all these people, anyone who's had any contact with the aliens to where they've had some sort of psychic connection are having dreams of this thing. And when they have dreams of it, they are terrified of it. But that's neither here nor there, because when we see that thing, none of the people who have been dreaming about it are going to be involved in the story. So they just assume kind of. it's an evil evil alien. Let's kill it. Let's knock it out of the sky. Well, you because miss, last time we waited way too long. You miss Celia Ward giving her presidential speech about how the people who died in the War of 96 did not perish in vain. Yada, yada, yada. We see a monument to the War of 96, which is what they call it. In Washington, D.C., we see Russell Cass's name, who is Randy Quaid from the original. We never see his family in this movie. We have no idea what's going on with them. I mean, for a movie so obsessed with the original, this is the only reference to Randy Quaid we get. But yes, then we get all these, this, this thing shows up and it looks like the thing everyone's been drawing. And Jeff Goldblum is trying to tell President Celia Ward... No, don't. We need to investigate. We don't know that this is an enemy. It's flying a ship unlike anything we've we've seen before. Doesn't look like them. It doesn't act like them. Don't do it. They could be initiating an attack. We need to strike first. Uh, hold on. Uh, hang on a second. To my eye, the design and the technology of this ship is nothing like the ones that attacked us. I'm telling you, this is not them. And what if you're wrong? If you're wrong... We could be starting a war with a whole new species. And this is, they have a they have a weapon on the moon that they're going to use against it. There's a whole fucking moment where the weapon's going to fall. And then Thor Jr. has oh to God. fucking put it back. I said, Liam Hemsworth. It's Chris Hemsworth's little brother. Like, this is within the first 11 minutes yes. of the film. We have to have this heroic moment. And that's why I wrote down... I am so sick of watching movies for the masses because they treat the masses as if they are idiots. idiotic children. Yeah. I am an idiot who does not understand what's going on. You need to spell it out for me. And I need to be glued in, cued into who the heroes are from the moment the movie starts. It is, it's insulting. It's so insulting. And we just watched Multiverse of Madness and it, it yeah. felt the same way. Yeah. Just insulting to the audience. Just, you're stupid. Let me make this really obvious for you. Uh-huh. And it's not even clever in any way, shape, or form. Here's an opportunity for them to be clever. Will Smith is not in this movie. Will Smith is not in this movie because he wanted $50 million to do two movies. And they're like, no. <laughs> so he's like, okay, I'm not in the movie. And they're like, okay, we'll write your character out. The new hero will be your character's son, which tracks. Okay, fine. How they write him off is they say one line to the son, an interviewer asks him a question about his father dying in, in a test flight, right? Later on, we find out that the reason Liam Hemsworth is working on a tugboat on the moon, a tug ship on the moon, is because he fucked up somehow in the Air Force. And how he fucked up is they were flying, they were practicing flying these new improved ships based on this alien technology, and he was racing with Dylan, 
Will Smith's son character and irresponsible. And he tried to, to squeeze through in a canyon and he knocked Dylan's ship, which crashed, forcing Dylan to eject, almost killing him and destroying the ship. So he was sent to the moon and Dylan's really pissed off at him. They never, not even once, make a connection between the fact that Dylan was almost killed while practicing flying these ships for the first time. And his father died in a test flight of these ships. They never make that connection. I did. <laughs> I was like... No, we do. I was like, wait. <laughs> but it never fucking comes up. I know. But it was so, like, such an obvious connection that I thought that it was the same situation. And I was like, wait. Oh, you thought that the dad died in that situation and that Liam Hemsworth killed his dad. Yeah, because yes. so I, I guys, after the first... I'd say first hour. Yeah. I was out. I was done. She was so checked out. I was so She dead. couldn't be more checked out. <laughs> it was so, so bad. And there was still an hour and a half left. Yeah. I wrote down, this movie just vomits up exposition so inelegantly. At one point, Micah Monroe is talking to Bill Pullman, her dad, the ex-president. And he says to her, you gave up flying to take care of me. Why would he tell her that? She knows. Shouldn't be wasting your time with a crazy old man. You gave up flying to take care of me, and I know how much you loved it. You should be with Jake. He's on the moon, remember? It's just that's how they get the exposition out to the audience by one character telling another character something they would never tell them. <laughs> I wrote down the cheese factor was slight in the first film, but it was definitely there. It was for sure. It's cheesy, but, but now looking like in a at fun it, way. right? But looking at it from now, you can see that it's it's extremely cheesy, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. So what I think is that like they look at that and they're like, oh, that's why people like it, and it's like, no, at the time it was actually pretty slight. And I'm like, okay, so I guess now they're leaning into that. But it's it not cheesy It's anymore. not charming no, anymore. That, that's, oh my God, you hit it. It is cheesy. And I was thinking like, what is, a, what is it about the original that made the cheesy fun? And I think you nailed it. It's the charm. The first movie was charmingly cheesy. Because it was trying to be not, very serious. Yes. This movie is not charming at all. This, there's nothing cute when you're trying to be cheesy. There's an implied love triangle that isn't actually a love triangle. They mention it once and then it never comes up again because Micah's character, Pat, Patty, Patricia, whatever her name is, Whitmore, the president's daughter, was a pilot with Liam Hemsworth and Jesse Usher. They were all pilots together, but she is engaged to Liam Hemsworth now. And there was a little bit like she ran into Dylan. Uh-oh, you know, is Liam going to get jealous? And then, no, they mention it once, and then it never factors in ever, ever again. This is going to be about two men who need to be friends. You know what? I will give the movie that. I did appreciate that they were not afraid to demonstrate platonic straight male love between Liam's character, Jack, I think is his name, and Charlie. And you realize they're just trying to recreate the friendship between the two guys in the first movie, right? Which two guys? Will Smith and his flight partner. They're trying to recreate that. Yeah, Harry Connick Jr. Yeah. Yes. No. A little bit, but they lean into it harder. I mean, that one, it's just a fun, guys, being fun, and it's like Top Gun energy, right? Yes. Like, let's, let's... Let's kick the tires and light the fires, Big Daddy. So, you know, like, that's what they're going for. But in this, it's legitimately like, 
Thank you for being there and always supporting me. I love you. Thank you for being here. Yeah, totally. If you're an elderly woman, you can do that, but not if you're a young, virile man, you know? So I did appreciate that they leaned hard into that. And they just showed two men not in love with each other who loved each other explicitly. I appreciated that. It's fine. <laughs> I Charlie was all right. I hate that Data is in this. He should Oaken. be dead. Oaken is he still alive. He should certainly be dead. He's not only alive, but gay and being treated by his husband. Most certainly dead. <laughs> but no, he was in a coma. He was in a coma this whole time and, and you wakes know why up that's 20 years later. Because now we can just have Bill Pullman go in there and seemingly die. But we all know that you don't die when that happens to right, you. Right, yeah. So what's the threat, right? There is no threat. Well, he the dude still might kill him. But yeah, that basically the same thing's going to happen to Bill Pullman that happened to Brent Spiner. I think you mean Data. Data, yeah. <laughs> I, in my notes, when I referred to him, I called him Data. <laughs> I don't care that he's gay. I don't care at all. That doesn't matter. I just think it's stupid that he is alive. Yes. We saw him in the first film die. <laughs> they, and they try to make him fun, like sort of insane like he was in the last one. Yes. And unsettling almost like he was in the first one, right? But he's not. He's a little silly, I guess. What else? Things just happen, I wrote down. How does nobody know that Liam went to pick up Levinson, Jeff Goldblum's character, on Earth from the moon, and that they then flew back to the moon, oh, and, and Levinson's supposed to be there for a speech? <laughs> nobody notices? Yeah, it's... It's it's terrible. It's terribly written. You didn't mention that Jeff Goldblum is in... He's Africa. in Africa somewhere. Okay. Yeah, I don't know specifically where. But this guy <laughs> is the reason that they know that they were drilling. Yeah, so The only place on a, Earth that they were drilling was in this place where the warlord wouldn't let anybody in. Well, okay. And that's the way that they've kept this secret for right, 20 years. Right, this is why years. they didn't know it was happening for 20 years. This warlord, Umbutu, which sounds like... Ubuntu, which is a which is an operating system, Count Dooku. Um, <laughs> Count Dooku. Uh, he his tribe have have been the uh, his people have been the only ones who actually fought a ground war with the aliens and have for years because there were some that crash landed in Africa and they survived. Well, hey, they've got a whole jail filled with. Them. Oh yeah, back at Area Fifty One. Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. But he, what he figures out is you got to get him from behind. And later on, they're like, he he kill. We'll see him kill he one, stab one in the back. One. Yeah. And he's like, see, you got to get him from behind. You think and that's, that's going to come it. up again? You think but it's it going to come up? But it. And he gets to he gets to carry around this shitty little UN a auditor. Writer, a writer desperately wanted to do that, and he found a way to yes. get it in there because uh -huh. there were so many writers, nobody noticed. Exactly. Yes. Ah, I, I wrote down, too, that things look less real than in 1996 on a smaller budget. There's a moment where the actual bad guy aliens are going to fly over the moon and they're going to cast a shadow. It's like, do you remember that moment from the beginning of the first movie and how fucking awesome that was? Now it's like, oh, that looks terrible. You want to know why? It's all CG. And I just really wish that movie makers would understand how... How disengaged their audience becomes when it's just CG fighting CG. It's not, but it's not CG 
inherently. The problem is, you know that triangle. You can do something well, you can do something fast, and you can do something cheap. Pick two. You know, if you do it well and you do it fast, it will not be cheap. It will be expensive. If you do it cheap and you do it fast, it won't be good. Where we are right now is there. Everyone uses CG. They don't spend enough money on it and they don't spend enough time on it. And a bunch of of these CG artists who are capable of really fucking incredible things are given no time to work on something and no money to work on something. And so they just spit it out and they think, well, because it's CG, we can do it in CG and it'll 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 work. And they just never spend the time, which is why CG quality varies wildly from movie to movie. And you can't just blame it on CG because if they took the time and and didn't do it quickly, they could do it well and they can do it cheap. But they're not willing to. They need to have it fast and they need to have it cheap so it will never be good. That's the problem. Fuck it. <laughs> just, the mo- just, just the moment that I'm just watching computer-generated shit, fighting computer-generated shit, I just am like, okay, it is no longer real. It is just a movie. And I'm just waiting for this scene to end. And that's, like I said, we just watched Multiverse of Madness, and I felt the same fucking way. Okay, just, all right, these CG things are just gonna yell at each other. It's a light show. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm like... Nothing's actually happening, so why am I? Why do I care? Uh huh. Can we talk about how they really, really wanted to get in Chinese theaters? So China only allows a certain number of non-Chinese movies into their theaters every year, and they make a decision about what's allowed in, what's not allowed in, and so. Not only are people trying to avoid being mean to China so they get picked because China's huge and people spend a lot of money on entertainment. So, like, they, you could make a lot of money if you get in theaters in China. So not only are people avoiding bad-mouthing China, they go out of their way to set parts of the movie in China and to cast Chinese actors and actresses to ensure that it oh. shows up. So they have this... this, uh, this actress slash model Angela Baby playing Rain Lau who is China's best fighter pilot and they go through like her she has a giant Chinese flag that's all unfurled when she's introduced and it's like really dramatic and very much like there's no narrative reason for this it's one thing to be like let's celebrate cultures that aren't normally celebrated it's completely different when I look at this and I realize Oh, you're just doing this because this is going to get you money. (laughs) That Chinese flag that you just showed equals cash. (laughs) And that's the only reason you're doing it. It feels disingenuous. And her, the whole existence of her character, who does practically nothing. She does nothing. The only thing she does is agree to go out with Charlie on a date by the end. That's all she does. Pointless, pointless character whose only function is to get this movie into China. (laughs) Jesus. It's really crass this movie was just made to make money it was pander to everyone so let's get through the plot i mean a little quickly here i don't want to dwell on individual scenes for good reason is are there any other plot elements that we need to mention they attack the good guys the good guys look like the death star yes i did like the swirling moon dust yeah that was, uh-huh. fun. That was fun visual <laughs> so they shoot them down liam hemsworth and charlie and Levinson grab the alien on their tugboat that they're flying 
and get it yeah, out of there and bring Gold it back Bloom's to Earth. Father is alive. Oh, okay, so I wrote down around the same time. Why is Vivica Fox's storyline necessary? Oh my God, she saves a woman and her baby and then dies. She she has to be. They have to have that moment where like, no, she was she was a stripper trying to work her way through school. So now she's a doctor. And so now she's a hero doctor, and she, she works in an ER. Baby. And yeah, everyone else is left except for a woman and her baby. And it get, there's there's one moment where Liam Hemsworth is like, "Well, I was, I was an orphan because of the War of '96, so I know how you feel losing a parent to these sorts of attacks. I know what you're going through, and I'm sorry." And they get to kind of like bond a little bit over it. After that, Dylan will forget his mom ever died. <laughs> At the, by the end of the movie, he's all smiles. Yes. Your mom just, you saw her fall into a crumbling building. So there's her, and then there's Judd Hirsch. And then they started doing more stuff with him. I thought it was just going to be the boat thing. So I'm like, okay, maybe they're going to do something with him. Think back to what he does in the movie. So he wrote a book about how he made saved the discovery the that saved the world and nobody cares. He has a boat. This ship, which actually is kind of neat, this concept, this giant mothership, like, it's almost the size of the entire planet and just, like, latches on and just lands on, like, a lamprey eel or whatever, fish, or, you know, the not the, the ones that, um, I actually wrote this Sucker down. fish? A remora on, like, a shark, you know, the ones that sort of just hang on. It's like that, but big, and it's on the side of the earth, right? It's huge. And so it causes this big tidal wave, and you think... He's going to die, and that's going to be the end of it. But no. Somehow he lives. Joey King and, Mc and McKenna Grace and their brothers sort of uh, uh, discover him. They somehow survive, too. But we've These never... ass kids We've that never, never seen. seen them up to this point. They're just all of a sudden introduced when they, when they stumble upon Judd Hirsch. And then they try to drive to get to Judd Hirsch's son, Jeff Goldblum. And then they find a school bus full of people who were abandoned by the bus driver, who wanted to have sex with his girlfriend. Oh my god. And so they take the bus full of school children out to Area 51 where they almost die. They pick up Jeff Goldblum and then do nothing. They do nothing. They have zero impact on the plot of the movie. None. Why the fuck is this in the The movie is two and a half goddamn hours long. Why is this in here? Nope. Don't know. Because they wanted money and kids make money. He saved I guess. kids. Kids in danger, yep. Save uh, kids. Oh, and he's going to adopt these kids whose parents died, oh who have, haven't known. You really want this Judd Hirsch-type person as your new dad? <laughs> so the plan is to invade this new queen. Yeah, there's but a queen in the middle of the ship. she knows they're coming. And so she tricks them with the okey-doke and them. baits them into coming in and then they're going to try to blow her up with these nuclear bombs but, but they have force fields it. and so now we got all these guys who are in these fighters who are now on the ground in this giant ship which has its own ecosystem it's so fucking huge <laughs> and they're going to get in their own fight and they're going to try to steal some ships and get out and that's Liam, Charlie, Rain and Dylan I keep calling him Liam. It's Jack, right? Jake. Jake is his name. Jake. And they're going to have their own fight on this ship. Meanwhile, what's happening outside is oh, they need to communicate. I love that Micah says, it's a trap. Get them out of there. It's a trap. She does. Yeah. It's a trap. Uh -huh. It's a trap. Because her dad says that because he's still psychically connected. Like they just realized that the, the thing they shot down was good. And it's just like, didn't you tell was. us that like half an hour ago? Of course it was. I... 
it, I mean, it's weird that the movie's like, blind militarism is bad, but also, let's just have nothing but blind militarism in the entire movie. <laughs> it's okay, okay. This movie has no point. It just It really doesn't. Things that, things that the masses will give you money for. So what do we find out about this orb that shows up? So now it's a tiny orb. It's about a person's well, size. Well, because they shot it down. Uh-huh. And then there's, like, this other ball comes out survived, of it. This survived. But I guess what I th- what I kind of came to the conclusion was the reason it was so big was because so, it was going to take all of the people. Yeah. It's a big arc, basically. Yes. That was Its point was but to evacuate humans from the planet. the brain part survived. Yes. It did. And it was quiet the whole time because it was shot down with alien weaponry. And they're like, oh, shit. Are these actually bad guys? And then when Oaken, or no, not Oaken, the the fucking bureaucrat touches it because he's a fucking idiot, and they let okay. him anywhere near oh, yeah, it. We haven't been talking about the tax guy that's been he's following tax, Jeff he's, Goldblum around. He's an auditor. His job is to audit these different UN goings on, which Levinson is directing. Yeah, yeah. And at this point, he's like resistance. Yes. <laughs> He becomes obsessed with Umbutu and, like, wants to be a warrior and wants to make something of his life now. Because, you know, people who are into math and auditing and shit like that, that's pathetic. Yes. That's what this movie wants you to think, apparently. Yes. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, he touches it and it comes to life. Yeah. And so it wakes up and it tells them the story. You idiots. I was trying to save you. I came to pick you up because I knew you were in danger. I also knew that you were capable of repelling invasion, and that says something, right? And also, we're part of another race. Oh, yeah, you guys are a less evolved race. We have long ago converted our consciousness into the internet. And now we're all digital beings. But I'm the only one that's left, which doesn't make any sense. Aren't you all on some great internet? Shouldn't you be backed up on every computer? Aren't you on the blockchain? Yeah. It's like, okay, whatever. But anyway... Uh, They've saved all these beings on this planet. Yeah. And they were going to take us there, and we fucked it up. Right. <laughs> and now the problem is... Oh, if, shit, yeah, you can't find... You have to kill me so yes. that they don't get the plans to know where all those other people are. To know where all the are. other... Because we've been, we've been rescuing races that have been subject to invasion. And what is the invasion for? It's a heavy-handed metaphor for wars where the real reason is oil. What happens is... These aliens come through, they invade a sovereign territory in order to take its natural resources and kill people in the process. They're not interested in the people, they're interested in the natural resource, but it destroys, their presence destroys the the people that live there. Like, I mean, okay, you're against wars for profit. Awesome. What the fuck is this movie? I don't know. Anyway, but they decide no. We need to save you, and you're going to help us save, because as soon as he, the the computer was like, I turned on when I found out that you guys were actually good guys, but the moment I turned on, the queen locked on to my location. Well, let's bait her, says yeah. Goldblum. Here's a question. Why did the queen go herself? The queen stays on this ship that's heavily protected. Why would the queen go herself? Because the movie's bad. The queen does go herself, and this is the kaiju. She's gigantic. But, guys, you need to know that there are multiple queens. And what's going to happen if they manage to kill this queen? Oh, by the way, there was a queen on the ship in the first movie. They just didn't know about it. And so when the ship blew up, it must have killed the queen, which shut down the hive mind. 
and that's how they defeated them. This giant ship, however, will fly back to the other queens. Let's not forget about the fishermen. There are more queens. Oh, the fishermen! <laughs> there are well, they're not fishermen. They're like scavengers. They they scavenge ships that have capsized, and they're like, "There's a hundred thousand. There's a hundred million dollars worth of gold on this ship. They want us to evacuate the area," and they're like. Yeah, they well no actually they want us to to monitor the situation from where we are and give inf- give the information to them. Oh yeah, tell them we'll do it for a hundred million dollars. They said deal. <laughs> U.S. government is on the line. They say the aliens are drilling to the Earth's core and they're looking for a ship in the area to monitor their progress. We're the only ones left. Tell them we'll do it for a hundred million dollars. <laughs> oh. All right. Okay. All right. Whatever. It's so dumb. And these guys, because they're all about like treasure hunting, they have all the necessary equipment to monitor how thick the Earth's mantle is. If this all sounds just ridiculous and you're wondering why is part of the movie? That's how we felt too. It's how they track the progress. There needs to be a ticking clock and they are drilling in the middle of the ocean through the earth's crust into the mantle. And once they get through, it's the end of the world. They're going to get less than one minute away from getting through the earth's crust. (laughs) And yet there are zero consequences for them digging that deep. Yeah. Like, the pressure inside isn't going to come bursting out at some point. We're not going to have horrible earthquakes into the future that will destroy the planet. That's not important to this movie. No, right now. it's not. No. Anyway. Oh, what, it, what is really neat is that giant ship is so big that it forms its own gravity. That's kind of cool. I'll give him that. I wrote down the gravity shit's kind of a neat idea. I wrote down. Here's one of my notes. Every once in a while, sometimes it's hard to get all your note down before something else happens. And so in a lull, you'll have to come back to it later. And, like, finish what you were writing down and hope you remember. I got halfway through my note, which said, I fucking hate this. And that's where it ended. And so my note is just, I fucking hate this. I don't remember what I was going to say, but I guess that note still works. I wrote down, none of these pilots combined have Will Smith's charisma. Nope. Like, at all. Whitmore gives a speech. But he gives it to a virtually empty hangar full of people who are inconsequential and have no impact on the outcome of this adventure, unlike in the first movie. Oh, by the way, there's a chick that Goldblum is going after. Oh, you know who that chick is, right? I've seen her before. Yeah. That's Charlotte Gainsbourg. She's in all those uh, Lars von Trier movies. Oh, right. Antichrist, Nymphomaniac. She was in Melancholia. Ugh. And that's really tacked on. They're just sort of like, they just sort of go. He had a love interest in the first movie. He's got to have a love interest in this movie. But she just also shows up there in Africa and then they kind of go along together. There's no sexual tension of any kind until finally they need a moment where they kiss. And it's like, really? Wait, was there, was that even a subplot? uh, Okay. Whitmore decided to shave. He took the time to shave when they're on a deadline But I guess he decided after putting himself in a position where he could translate. And we know what that means. It means the alien like strangles you and uses your vocal cords because that's what happened to Oaken. After all that, he decides he's going to be the one 
to sacrifice himself because they killed all the satellites. Everything's done by, you know, radio, by radar. They're going to set up the radiation signal of the guest, the white ball, the white orb. They're going to send it off and it's going to get captured by the queen. And they're going to use that to actually set off the bombs that they wanted to set off. And that's going to be what destroys the queen. Meanwhile, they'll shut down the orb so it doesn't give off its signal. So he goes and he sacrifices himself. Micah decides she wants to do it, but he tricks her and then he does it. And she flies next to him anyway and says goodbye and blah, 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 blah. It goes off. It does not kill the queen because the queen has her own shield, her own personal shield. She kaijus her way out of the ship into the into Area 51. Blah, 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 blah. She has a swarm of other ships around her, protecting her. Meanwhile, our guys got out of the ship with alien ships. And she was like, oh, great, they're going to be able to fight. Uh, no, they can't because she's controlling all those planes with her mind. And they swarm around her to to create a shield protecting her. They turn on the thrusters in their ships to get out of the ship tornado and do a controlled dive. Here's a question. If she controls these ships with her mind, how does she have no control over their thrusters? It's not explained. It doesn't matter. And then as they fall down, they shoot it, and the queen comes out. She has basically one of the suits. She looks no different, really, than all the other aliens. She's just really big. And she is also in a protective suit, just like all the other ones. You know, when they open and then the little guys come out? She's like one of those, but just on a larger scale. Like, at least in Alien, we got, like, a really, like, Aliens, we got, like, a really badass, like, different version of a Xenomorph as the Queen. Had this giant bug butt and shit, and it was laying eggs. Nope, not here. It's just an overgrown bad guy. And then the bus has to go in reverse to avoid being smashed. And then they get all this bug juice all over their windshield, and they use their windshield wipers, and it's funny. Uh, I wrote down, can't tell what the fuck is going on in these dogfights where every ship looks the same by definition. <laughs> yeah. They're the same ship. Yeah, I was like, I can't tell who's good, who's bad. And they tell you, we're the ones trailing smoke. But it's like such a subtle effect that it just looks like, you know, that's the effect that the ships have on the dust around them. Or that's what they excrete, <laughs> I guess. I wrote down that at least that was kind of exciting, all the kaiju stuff. That the kaiju queen goes running around. Oh, yeah, Micah's blasters downed her shield for no discernible reason. She does a scream. She does a warrior scream, and so her her, her lasers work harder. And then that shoots down her shields. When she shoots her shields, they fall down. With no explanation as to why that would be the case. Just because she did a warrior scream. Data's husband dies. I wrote the random romance subplot with David and Catherine. The ship just leaves to go back to the other queens. You were... One minute from breaking through the crust, just keep going. If you can program it to return to the other queens, why can't you program it to just keep drilling? I wrote down Jesus the last 20 seconds, where they're like, we can take the fight to them. It's Let's kick some alien ass. Terrible. It's some end of Halo 2 fucking bullshit, but trying to be inspirational. It's sequel bait is all it is. You won't believe the, the, the weapons and the technology this thing has on its on its proverbial hard drive. It wants us to lead their resistance. What do you mean? Two words. Interstellar travel. Take the fight to them. When do we leave? 
We are gonna kick some serious alien ass. And my last note is, I heard it was bad, but Jesus Christ. Oh, that was terrible. So that said, Kelsey, what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? Two. <laughs> no. <laughs> has a 29. It's undeniably visually impressive. Is it? No, it's not. It really isn't. But like its predecessor, Independence Day Resurgence lacks enough emotional heft like its predecessor? Yeah, no, this movie was all about emotional heft, and that's what made it so terrible. To support its end-of-the-world narrative stakes. Metacritic 32, a cinema score of B, the original, had an A. The original also had a Rotten Tomatoes of 67, so more than twice that of this Shows one. Shows you what I know. B? Right, I know. I don't know how people they, walked out of this with a B. They know the masses better than I do. But it's still not an A that the original was. You gave the original a 70, I gave it a 77. What would you say this movie is? First of all, 29, overrated, underrated. Overrated. Of course it is. This movie had the gall to be an hour longer than that other movie. Yes, uh uh-huh. And it had the gall to destroy a film I actually enjoy from my childhood. Uh Uh-huh. I'm going to give it... A nine. Wow. I'm going to go 15. Like I say, there was enough that I did like. I liked the platonic boy love. <laughs> I liked the kaiju stuff. That was at least a little exciting, if nonsensical. No, I hated this movie. I think that's it. I, <laughs> I don't know that there's movie. anything else that I liked. It was terrible. Again, I heard it was bad. I had no idea. Just how bad. Two and a half hours of just... (sighs) (laughs) Hated it. That is Independence Day Resurgence from 2016. Thus ending our 4th of July week. Oh, man. Kelsey, before we say what we're going to watch next week, just want to do a quick reminder... Don't forget to visit us on patreon.com slash podcemetery and support us there. Right now, the show is entirely out of pocket, and it always has been. It actually costs us money for us to do what virtually amounts to a second job. So we really appreciate any assistance you guys deem to give us there. You will get exclusive content, access to our Discord, which will be public, but there will be stuff that's exclusive for patrons there, including um, helping us decide what movies we show next. That's patreon.com slash pod cemetery. Kelsey, what are we watching next? Next week, we're going to do a double feature. The late night double feature feature show. It's been a while since we've done a double feature. Mm-hmm. We're going to watch Firestarter. Twisted Firestarter. Oh, yeah. That's going to be played throughout the Throughout the We episode. won't be able to help ourselves. I'm so, so sorry. That's 1984's Firestarter and 2022's Firestarter. And, of course, as we all know, even though I've actually never seen it, uh, Drew Barrymore is in the original, which is exciting. Yeah. And it's a Stephen King story. Of course. So that'll be fun. Excuse to read that. Yeah, totally. That is next week. Until then, you can always find us at our website, podcemetery.com, and follow us on Twitter at podcemetery. And now, back us on Patreon, patreon.com slash 
Pod Cemetery. Don't forget to subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice and rate and review. A five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there, but even bigger than that is sharing us with your friends, and even bigger than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? They like to get the landmarks. an eloquent yeah don't be afraid it's only friendly fire why don't you just shut up fuck 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 what's the movie i keep thinking a few good men is it a few, it's a few good men quiet time starts now okay quiet time starts now meow <laughs> you never fought for your country you just killed for the love of killing you're nothing, so just die. Make a Monroe. Make I keep saying make a. Fucking what's his name? Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. Thank you. <laughs> what's the character's name? Fuck. What's the character's name? The 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 piano player. What's his name? <laughs> what's his name? Piano Bubble. No. <laughs> Ham and bubbly. Um, no. Where is it? Oh, he isn't even in the top cast. Harry Connick Jr. There you go. That's it. That's exactly it. Kick the tires and light the fire.